Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in. It's another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast here with the Indy Star. I'm your host, Derek Schultz, and the star of the show, as always, is our good friend, Greg Doyle. What's up, man? How are you? How was your fourth? Uh, I spent it at the track. It was uh, it was fine. Listen to this. Get this. So, you know, the, the, the coronavirus, obviously, no fans. So mm-hmm. on Saturday was the, um, the Grand Prix. I showed up about a half hour before the race began and just drove right up. And I thought, well, on Sunday, I'm going to do even better. Sunday, the race starts at 4.15. There's, there's lightning, so it got delayed, but but we didn't know that yet. I showed up at 4.10 and rolled right up to right up to the facility, nice. parked outside the pagoda, and walked upstairs. <laughs> you can't do that for a race. And I don't care who's no. racing. You can't do that. But I do. No, and, and I love, and I think you've grown to love it too, Greg, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Oh, but yeah. Those races, notably, Ollie. Sorry about the dog. Notably, the 500. It's the biggest hassle in the world to attend those things. It really is. It, it's just it's it's really difficult. You have to wake up. You got to be there four hours early and all of that. You guys have a long day, grinding out columns and features, and you've got all hands on deck. So this was, I know, um, a much different circumstance this time around. With as we talked about last week, what, what it was just you, um, a photog, and with a with a three. Oh, I got a story for you. Oh, I got a story for you. Yeah, there was just three of us there. The the Indi- the you've seen the media center. It's massive. Yeah, massive. And um, so I walk into the and they've got all these social distancing rules in place. I mean, we had to jump through a lot of hoops just to get into the the press room. We had to, I had to get my temperature taken. I had to sign a form stating I promised that I'm healthy. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff. You know, don't get out of your car until you're summoned out of your car. I mean, they're being very careful. So after all this, I then. I then follow the path up to the press room, which is mostly empty. They have assigned seats. So there's probably a hundred chairs up there and maybe 15 are assigned. 85 of them are empty. I go to my seat and there's some tool bag sitting in it. Big guy, big muscles. He's apparently a camera guy for NASCAR sitting in my seat, talking to somebody. And I walk over to him and say, I'm here. And he, and he gets up and I said, do me a favor, take that chair with you. Cause he's in a chair. Like of course, we're, we're, yeah. We're, yeah. all these hoops were jumping through, but I'm just going to sit in your chair. So at that point he was talking to somebody else who's standing nearby and they're both just probably spitting all over my workstation. Well, at that point, the, when I say, take your chair <laughs> with you, the guy looks at the guys look at each other and, and their the conversation stops. And they look at each other, and you can tell that they're looking at each other like two high school kids would would look, trying to spread the uh, message that, wow, this guy's a jerk. Can you believe he's saying that? And I'm like, we're in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic. Jump through hoops to get in here. You're in my seat? And, and so I said, oh, I get it. I get it. I'm the effing jerk here, right? And I didn't say effing. I, I said the word. 
Sure. I, you know, under normal circumstances, I wouldn't want somebody sitting in my chair. You know what Never. I mean? So the, the fact that it's the, the pandemic and everything, that just it just kind of adds to it, I think. Sorry, somebody in my chair. Yeah. If you if um, you guys can hear through the uh, speakers, I guess um, somebody's very needy today and needs attention. So it's Ollie, beautiful just, dog. I, he needs he my attention. He needs yeah. my attention. Bring him over here. <laughs> He's a good boy. Um, we will talk plenty of Brickyard Weekend. I know you wrote um, a couple of features on it, you know, Scott Dixon's dominance and then what happened yesterday in, in Pit, Pit Row. But I, I wanted to start with Victor Oladipo because it was the classic news dump, wasn't it? What was it, 4 o'clock on Friday of a holiday weekend? Everybody's out of the office, and suddenly you get news that Victor Oladipo has decided not to play. Um First, Greg, and, and for people that didn't read the column, I want you to give your side because I actually came away feeling really the opposite of how you felt about the whole thing. Well, then, I mean, how I felt is the Pacers should have canceled the season for him. He shouldn't have canceled it. And then Pacers fans should not have then gone to Twitter and taunted him and called him names. What do you feel about it? What am I missing? I feel like the decision had to be left up to Oladipo. And I don't have a problem with the Pacers not dictating that for him. Now, if they would have said, if Oladipo would have gone to Kevin Pritchard and said, hey, I'm not going to play, but I don't want to catch hell for it. Will you fall on the sword for me? And then they didn't do it. Then that's one thing. But I don't think that's how that happened. I I think they wanted to put the ball in his court. And I I think, Greg, it's his body, right? It's his mind. It's physically, mentally, it's all Oladipo. He's got to make that decision on his own. I, I get what you mean that I saw the same stuff on Twitter, and I think it's ridiculous that some fans turned on him so quickly. I even said that. I tweeted, man, you guys you guys turned it on him already? I, I couldn't believe it because he's, you know, um, really ever since Andrew Luck's retirement, he's been the guy here in town for the last, I don't know, 18 months or so. Um, but I, I don't think that it was the Pacers' place to dictate whether he played or not. He's your franchise. And they think that he's their future. So go ahead and let him make that decision. Because if he's not 100%, I don't even care physically about the quad, everything. If he's not 100% mentally into it, all in, I want to do this. My body's ready. Let's go. If he's not 100%, then it's not worth it for him to be out there. See, my position is the Pacers, it never should have been Vic's decision to make. Once the season got shut down, and then we're going to start it up three or four months later, um, it's like the Kevin Durant Achilles thing, sort of. Obviously different, but it's like that. Like, don't don't bring this guy back um, after a shutdown and hope that it goes okay. He's too important to hope that it goes okay, and you can't possibly know it's going to go okay. And now, since writing the story, I've I've learned some things about the situation, and it doesn't entire it doesn't change my opinion. Um, but apparently, Oladipo. I mean, the Pacers found out when Sham Sharnia broke the news. That's when they found out. And they had been in contact with Old Depot or, earlier in the day. They knew he was on the fence. They didn't know he was shutting it down until they saw it on Twitter. So it's not like they knew he was shutting it down and said, Vic, you fall on the sword. We're not doing it for you. But my thing is they should have been close enough to him to know that he was, clo- to, he was thinking about it, which he was. And they should have told him, hey, if you're going to shut it down, we'll do it for you. We don't, we don't need you to have this fan base targeting you. So I just don't like how it went down at all. I don't like the Pacers' oh, spot. Yeah, none of that. Yeah, I agree with that second part. I, if, if, they, if Oladipo, like I said, if Oladipo had told them, I'm, I'm thinking about shutting it down, and then Pritchard swooped in and said, look, we'll, we'll fall on the sword for you, I think that's the right way to handle it. But 
as you said, it doesn't appear that that's the way that it went down. I, I just think, let's say hypothetically, Greg, that he did want to play, and then the Pacers decided to shut him down. You know, what kind of message does that send Oladipo as he enters into a contract year? Oh, they're going to control me and control my – you know what I mean? That's why, you know, if he was going to play, if he wasn't going to play, I felt like it had to be his decision. I, I thought that the Pacers handled that properly. Well, you look at what happened over – now that we know that – now that we know he's quit – not quit, not quit, but shut it down – you look back at the last three or four months and everything that's been said, whether it's been leaks coming out from Ojanowski, Victor himself on Zoom last week, it has been very clear that he was not sure about, about this. It's been every step of the way, it's been clear. He wasn't mentally there every step of the way, including the day Sham Sharnia broke the news that he was shutting it down. That day, the Pacers talked to him for hours and knew that he was still on the fence. So I can't listen to, they didn't know he was shutting it down. No, they didn't know exactly he was shutting it down. They knew he was leaning that way. They knew it was close. And they never said, hey, if you ever get there, we'll do it for you. And they should have because he's taking a beating. And it's not. It's just not right. It's not right. And uh, they should have been his heat shield. No, and I wouldn't have played. He's got a lot of money on the line. He'll be 29 next summer when he's a free agent if, it, if, it, if he's not extended before then. And honestly, Greg, I just don't think that fans are seeing the forest through the trees here. Um, this is, you know, let's face it. This is kind of a farce, right? This this whole bubble thing in Orlando. If this even gets joke, off the ground, a no joke. One's gonna, no one's going to take this seriously. Like, I love the NBA. I, I, I can't wait to see basketball back. But this is, it's a complete cluster. And the chances of the Pacers winning under normal circumstances are very low to begin with. It appeared that this team had a very clearly defined ceiling. And people are like, well, he's just been resting all this time. Well, it's not the rest. It's the start, stop, start, stop. That's the problem. It's, it's ramping all the way up, playing for 13 games, shutting down, and then having to ramp up again. And as we've seen with like the lockout season in 2011, the, the risk of potential serious injury is much, much higher when you rush the timetable, which is what Oladipo and the Pacers would have had to do. But I think this is, at the end of the day, the best decision for Oladipo and for the Pacers. Because, God forbid, Oladipo comes back, plays, has some sort of terrible injury again, and you miss him for all of next year. Then he's 29 years old. You know, what's going to happen with the extension? Does it even come at all? Now, at least, you'll get to see him back presumably fully healthy in the fall or winter, whenever the next season gets off the ground. And you'll be able to change course or, or address whatever you want to address in that time. Whether you want to trade Oladipo before the trade deadline, great. Whether you want to extend him, great. You know, whatever you want to do with him, you can evaluate him properly. Uh, and, and I just don't think you could have evaluated him properly on 13 games this season. And then, you know, God forbid, another injury in Orlando leading into next season. You flush this season, but if he comes back and he plays in Orlando and he has an injury issue, then you end up flushing maybe two full seasons. And I, I just don't think that the Pacers could have afforded that. No, and I'm... You know, I, I so often feel this way, and, and I, maybe I come across like uh, the old church lady or something. I don't know, but um, I'm so disappointed. I mean, just so disappointed in the reaction. And it wasn't like Pacers fan, p fans in general get, when, when I say something like this, when anybody says something like this, they get all defensive. Are you saying, I, no, I'm not saying you. If you didn't do it, then I'm not talking about you. And I'm not, I'm not saying... Pacers fans, the entire fan base embarrassed itself. Not saying that, but it was a, it was more than a handful. It was a lot of people crushing him on Twitter, crushing him. And I'm just 
stunned at that. And I don't know why I'd be stunned anymore because this is how people operate now. They, they're just not smart enough. It comes down to you're just not smart enough to understand that if you really want this guy playing for you in three years, what you don't do is crap on him right now. You just don't do it. It doesn't mean if Victor looks at, at the totality of what happened on Twitter and decides, I don't want to play for that fan base anymore. After all I've done for them, I don't want to play for that fan base. If that's his decision, and I don't think it will be, but there's a chance. And if it is, that doesn't mean he's weak. It means he's human. It means, wait a minute. I've, I've, I mean, he's the first superstar we've seen that said, I, this is my city. Paul George never said that. Not since Reggie Miller, anyway. He is the first great player since Reggie Miller who actually wanted to be here. And that's what we do. That's that's what we do. Um, and, and that's got to be what he's thinking. That's what you do? So, you know, and the fans that would be dumb enough to say that probably aren't smart enough to listen to this podcast. <laughs> but if they are, if they are, they're mad at me right now because they don't think I'm right even now. Like, two plus two ain't five, idiot. <laughs> fans... Fans are very uncomfortable with the amount of players have uh, uh, amount of power players have today compared to 30 years ago. Um, and if you grew there, up, there's a, a let's be there's a race component to that, Derek. There's oh, an absolute race component to that. 100% there is. Uh, but you know, at, at the end of the day, whether you're an accountant or you're a professional athlete, whether you're making $40,000 a year or $20 million a year. If you're a grown man, you have the right to make a decision that is best for you, your family, your future. And we never, like my neighbor across the street, great dude, Purdue grad, he's going to Dallas-Fort Worth. I would never go over there and say, well, you can't do that. You can't make that decision to go there and move your family there and take another job. What about the job that you already have? You signed up for you signed a four-year contract when you signed there. What happened to that contract? You know, that, that's not my place to say that. He's a grown man. He can make his own decision. And I just wish that we would respect this. We look at athletes as we're, we're entitled to something. We're entitled to be entertained by you. You know, dance for us. Get out there. Play. Um be as 100% loyal to the team as we are. And it, it's a business. And sometimes guys have to make business decisions. Owners make business and GMs make business decisions all the time. They cut guys. They, they do whatever. You know, Danny Granger didn't get to make his own decision, right? Lance Stevenson didn't get to make his own decision. I know he still wanted to be here. But then a player makes a decision to punt on a far season. And everyone goes up in arms about that. You know, I... I I don't understand that at all. Uh, Ole, the Pacers are on board with this. Kevin Pritchard, Nate McMillan all along said it's his decision. We're going to respect that decision. You know, people that are like, well, how do his teammates feel? His teammates respect the decision, guys. You know, they, they know that it's a business. They're not going to dictate what another guy does with his future, his money, his family, his personal health, physically and mentally. And I, I just think once we can accept that better as fans, because at the end of the day, we all love sports, right? We're all watching. We're not in the actual locker room playing fans or media, uh, until we accept that, then we're just going to be frustrated a lot with these decisions. I think it's fine for fans to be disappointed, but you're right. The stuff on Twitter about how he's a quitter, he's soft, whatever, you know, all of that is garbage. Uh, Oladipo has done everything perfectly in his career, dating back to when he first stepped onto campus in Bloomington from DeMatha High School. So, you know, because he made the first time that, this, that he's disappointed you, that you're ready to quit on him, that's on you. That's not on him. I, I find it hard to believe that we're actually almost to Orlando now. Like, uh, I mean, Malika Andrews of ESPN is in the bubble. I know she is. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm sure other people are starting to arrive and all that. And I just, I, it feels weird that we're actually almost going to get there. And I still am on record as saying it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. You know, every day, I mean, every day, Florida sets a new record for cases every day. And just about the worst spot in Florida is Orange County, which is where Orlando is. It just blows me away. And then every day, more people are testing positive in all these sports. But I mean, I just like baseball too. It's not going to happen. Um, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> and so we're, everybody's getting worked up over a season that was going to be stupid if it does happen, but it's not going to happen. But people just want their fantasy right now. And I get it. And they don't want people like me poking holes in it. And I get that too, I guess, but it's not going to happen. And the Pacers aren't going to be the only team that this happens to. There are going to be other guys that say no. And there are going to be other teams that go through the motions, but really have no interest in advancing or, or going anywhere in Orlando. They just want to, you know, hold on to their end of the bargain and, and make sure that they're able to get whatever out of this they can, I guess, from a financial standpoint. But, you know, we were already going to put an asterisk on this thing. But now, just with what we know, and we're, we're still, what, three weeks away, I'm kind of with you, Greg. Um, I love the NBA. Like I said, I just I, – I don't want it to be a circus tent thing. Um, I'd rather just cancel the season before I turned it into a joke. I, I never want that. Yeah, it's to me, it feels too much like a whole bunch of all-star games. I just don't – I'm not sure how much any of it's going to matter, and it's all weird. And Anyway, I, I'm just – I, for some reason, you'd, you'd think I would just be really happy about us having sports, but not not this way, not not in that city, not in that hot spot. I just my fear is if you want to know why I'm so negative about sports in our coming back too soon, my fear is that especially with football, um, especially if they let anybody in the facility, just like at IMS, they allegedly are going to let 150,000 people in there. My fear is that um, as bad as our country's doing with the virus, and we're the worst country in the world. Those are just facts. My fear is that we're going to come back with sports too soon and it's going to spread worse. And it's just the fans are going to spread it. And it's just going to, it's just science and physiology. So anyway, I'm just, I'm down in the whole thing. Cause I'm afraid that we're, because our country has shown that we can't do this the right way. And again, I'm not pointing fingers at everybody. Lord knows. I think I'm doing my part, but enough of us are not doing our part that I'm not sure we're ready for sports and that's our fault. And uh, I'm pissed off about it, actually. I'm pissed off, and I'm pissed off that there are people still arguing about wearing a mask. Like, how, how much more evidence do you need? I mean, what are you waiting on? Did you see the lady in Target, the video oh, of herself, yeah. taking down the mask display? Yeah, yeah. We could do the a race, separate the, podcast on that. The ratio was pretty good, the tweet ratio on that. She got oh, retweeted. Yeah. She got retweeted got by a few people, good. favorited by a few people, and, and got commented by about 10 million people. That's the way it ought to well, be. Well, you, you know, the, the new feature on Twitter is retweet with comment, and it's not the traditional retweet, right? And so you see all these retweets, and you're like, oh, this many people agree with you, but then you go to the retweets with co comments, and it's all people shredding her in the while retweeting her tweet, so you know they're not actually on board with it. Um, let's get back to Oladipo, though, and his future. If you had to call it today, what is to like July 6th, 2020 is Victor Oladipo, a Indiana Pacer one year from right now. Um, I'm going to tell I'm going to predict and not because of the fans, um, but I'm going to predict no, because, um, and I could be wrong about that one. I don't, I don't have a strong feeling, you know, I got a pretty strong feeling. We're not going to get a basketball season, blah, 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 blah. But I don't, I don't have a strong feeling. Oladipo's gone. I don't, but 
if you ask me to, if I had to bet money right now and wanted to win the bet, I'd bet no because the Pacers are not going to give him a max contract until they see him on the court next year. It's not going to happen. You said earlier, if they don't extend him before, they're not going to extend him before the season. Not going to do it. Uh, at least not not the max. If he's willing to take less than max right now, maybe they would. Sure. In fact, I'm sure they would. But I'm sure I, I'm sure Victor sees himself as a potential max player, and without the max, he's not going to come back before the year. Um, and then once the year starts, I just I, I don't see him being a max player after this. I just, I just don't see it. And if he's not a max player, he's going to leave. He's gonna, for some reason everybody's tying him to Miami, and I don't know why that is. But oftentimes when you see something like that and it makes a little bit of sense, like, okay, there might be something to that. There might be, whether it's the Heat want him or he likes Miami. You know, he's a very cosmopolitan guy. I don't know. But anyway, if I had to bet money right now, I'd say he's not going to be back. And it's, and it's not necessarily because of the fans. Although when you factor, when you consider a decision like he's got to make in a year and you factor in everything, that's certainly a side to leave, a fact to, on the side of leaving. It's not the fact you don't make your whole decision based on a few jerks on Twitter, but that will be on the list of things, reasons to go. Yeah, I don't think that this specific decision has anything to do with whether he's staying or going. Um, Victor Oladipo's got to protect his money, so regardless of who pays him, he's got to protect himself physically and mentally. And so, you know, a lot of people are making this decision into the, the factor that the deciding factor that okay, he's definitely leaving. I don't think that that's the reason that he's going to leave. Um, I don't think he'll be a Pacer next year. Um, Kevin Pritchard has not been afraid to make a trade. Ah, okay. Next year. So you're saying they could get rid of him before his contract year's up. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I don't think he'll be a pacer a year from now, which was the original question. So after the completion of the 2021 season, um, because I think that there's a chance that the pacers see the writing on the wall and Kevin Pritchard deals him before the deadline. And hopefully he's healthy enough to, to show a little something because you know, the people that want to trade him now, you know, what really is Oladipo's trade value? Sure, he's got some value, but the fact that he's still coming off the torn quad and was never really to, able to prove that he was all the way back, I don't think right now is the time to trade him. I think that'd be malpractice. Uh, you want to at least wait until next season to see if he can come back healthy and, and then try to, you know, cross that bridge when you get there, I guess. But I, I just think, Greg, that – and I don't know what it is because this is a great place to live, and in 2020 – you don't need to be in New York or L.A. to be a big star. Look at Giannis in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, right? Not that Oladipo is on that tier of player, but you don't need to necessarily be in New York or L.A. like you did 30 years ago pre-internet to be a big star and to be a commercial draw. But there's just something about when, it, when a guy's star shines too bright or, you know, the trappings, uh, trappings of fame is the wrong term, but when, when they get to be a big name and all that, and this isn't just Paul George. This just feels this way in general. Like Jermaine O'Neal, when he got paid, it just feels like there's this fracture of the relationship between the fan base and the player. And I just wonder, I hope this isn't the case. I hope that the people on Twitter was just a small group and not the majority. But I do wonder with, at the very least, that in the back of people's minds, if this is the point of no return for Oladipo here. And, and he sees it like you said, Greg, he sees the criticism. And the fans see it as well, that he's about to leave. And it just turns into, not as toxic as the PG situation, because I, I, I think we shouldn't make everything into what happened with Paul George. Um, but at the same time, you always run the risk of, of things getting bad, you know? Yeah, and Paul George was a special kind of bad guy. He wasn't, he wasn't a criminal. 
He wasn't violent. Villain. Villain. Right? That's he a good was absolutely villain. He was terrible. <laughs> I mean, that locker room couldn't stand Paul George. Okay, they didn't like him. Paul was always bad mouthing people behind their backs. I mean, he just no. I mean, he was poisonous. He was a poisonous villain. That's not Vic. So, you know, you're not you're not going to get a guy your, your team's best player when he's that good. You know, a really bad team can have a best player who's a sweetheart, but that's you know that that guy might not be good to start for some teams. When your when your best player is as good as Vic could be, and has been, you, normally you don't have a guy that good in the locker room too. So he's special, and I hope the city. You know, I, I hope whatever happened on Twitter was just some dummies blowing off steam, not realizing that that leaves a mark. You know, it makes a mark. It's uh, but anyway, I, I hope that was blown off steam, and that and that it doesn't degrade in something worse. But it always could because people will always find a way to let you down. They will always find a way to let me down. Anyway, I'm always blown away at how how bad we can be to each other. It's funny because I'm I'm just fascinated to see how it all unfolds next year because forever we've thought, okay, well, Oladipo is going to be part of this for the long haul. He's going to be here forever, and the core of the team is you know they lined it up all last summer, Brogdon and everything else, and um and now you know you throw a wrench kind of into all of that if Oladipo is not going to be part of the plans 2021 and beyond you know what happens then um you know I'm fascinated to see how it all plays out let's talk uh Brickyard um I thought it was a good weekend you know that that race the the cup race particularly has been kind of a punching bag around here for the last 10 years or so ever since that tire debacle in 2008 the racing hasn't been great um IMS is still not built for great stock car racing but I thought that there was some good passing and, and racing, particularly around the restarts. I thought it was better than it was before. I didn't actually get a chance to see the Xfinity race, which you were at on Saturday, but I heard that that was fantastic on the road course. And even though Scott Dixon checked out, um, I love the IndyCars utilizing the road course. And I, I think we're finally starting to get around to the fact that, hey, Scott Dixon is one of the greatest guys to ever live. Uh, we, we don't need to do this like era adjusted thing or asterisk next to Dixon because of you know, where champ car was 10 years ago and whatever else. And it, well, it's not the heyday of open wheel racing. Scott Dixon is one of the best guys to ever hop into a cockpit period. And he's, he's continuing to prove that. Yeah. And he's, uh, he outsmarted everybody, him or his crew chief or whatever. They outsmarted the whole field. Um, you know, they, they made that tire switch. It's so weird that that was such an eye opening experience for me, how that race it's all about strategy and luck. And I, you know, before I got here and really paid attention to racing, I had no idea how important things other than driving ability was. I didn't realize oh, yeah. how important, first of all, how important the, the, the quality of your car and your crew people are. I had no idea. I mean, until you, which has nothing to do with the driver, but then I had no idea like which tires do you use and when, okay. When does the yellow flag come out? Both races this weekend were completely dictated by by cautions and tire strategy in the case of uh, the IndyCar. Bo- both of them. I mean, Scott Dixon is great. Kevin Harvick is great. And maybe there's there must be something to the best drivers actually won the races. But, man, both races were dictated by stuff that happened outside the driver's wheel. No, you're right. Um, and, you know, luck cuts both ways. It can be good and it can be – look at what's happened to Alexander Rossi so far this season, where it has nothing to – Rossi's one of the right. most talented guys out there. Had nothing to do with him, but, you know, sometimes you just run into some bad luck. Um, I love the feature from yesterday because I think it would have been easy for you to write something about, you know, I don't know, Kevin Harvick. Uh, Bubba Wallace had a good day. I mean, there probably were some storylines from an on-track standpoint that you could have explored, Greg. But 
in a way that you always kind of make it unique and, and your own. I thought you found something digging a little bit deeper yesterday that was um, that was frankly far more interesting than anything that happened during the actual <laughs> race on itself. Well, thanks, Derek. I, I thought to me watching the race, the most interesting thing that happened early was that crash on pit row and why it always happens at IndyCar with NASCAR, why pit row is always weird here, but how a driver, a human being got pinched between two cars. And then with his good leg, cause one of them was destroyed. His good leg is pushing himself out of harm's way. And then he's smiling and giving a thumbs up as he's in the ambulance. I thought that was the most charming thing I'd seen early in the race. And I told my bosses, you know, barring something weird happening, that'll be my story. And I tell them that every year and something weird happens late in the race and whatever caught my attention early, I never write about. Well, nothing weird enough happened to write about. And as this race is going on, I realize I'm going to write about this guy. I want to know more about him. So I'm, I'm Googling him, trying to find out who he is. And just luck hap- happens. I found a phone number for his wife online. I mean, I'd never even heard of the guy before yesterday. Now I know who his wife is and I got her phone number and, and she answers the phone and she's talking to me. So that was that was a remarkable little moment for me to be this, this guy that was so charming and was kind of trending a little bit on Twitter for a while. I'm talking to his wife behind the scenes about what is he going through? And it was her son's birthday. 10th, their, their son's 10th birthday was yesterday. And in the middle of the birthday party, their dad is getting crushed between two cars. It wow. was just a crazy, yeah, it was a crazy, I really enjoyed that story. Uh, just because it's, you know, it's one of those stories that every now and then you write a story and you say to yourself, I'll never write one like that again. And I'll never write one like that again. And everything's a okay. Uh, did he have a broken leg or do you know the extent of the injuries? I don't know the extent yet. He was released from the hospital and traveled home with his people, but that doesn't mean his leg isn't broken. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, you can have a broken leg and then go home. Sure. So I know that he was hurt bad enough that his, his first instinct when he had to get out of the, uh, of the way of the cars coming was to use his other leg and really kind of pogo stick his way off the, off the asphalt because one leg wasn't working and uh, his wife said they thought it was fractured. They're taking x-rays. So beyond that, I don't know. Um, had to be, I mean, his leg was, I mean, I hope it wasn't pulverized. I mean, he was smushed between two cars. And if you saw, and I watched this thing on replay, the GIF of it, I must watch it a hundred times looking at various people. Like I'm going to watch that guy 30 times. I'm going to watch that guy. And the, the crew, he was the, the right rear tire changer. The, the right front tire changer went, was able, was actually watching the, the mayhem coming their way. And uh, Zach Price was not watching it. He was focused on the tire. The, the guy in front was could see what was happening, literally hopped, dove onto the roof of the car. I mean, th- it was like a movie. He dove onto the wow. roof of a car. It's like Die Hard. And then Zach, <laughs> Zach sees that. And then because he sees that, he looks he looks real quick and sees the cars coming, and he kind of olays one car like a bull goes by. He kind of olays it, and I think it might have touched him, but I think he was okay. Easy for me to say, but then the second car comes and he's got nowhere to go, and it just smushes his leg. I mean, I don't I don't know how you don't have bone fragments at that point, but it was a remarkable crash. It's amazing that that stuff, and I know it happens that it doesn't happen frequently, isn't it? With the amount of people that are there on pit road, and you know, we talk all the time about the drivers, Ryan Newman walking away eventually from that horrific crash at Daytona a couple of months ago. It, you know, it's amazing that we don't see more serious injuries and really, you know, God forbid, fatalities in this sport, but particularly on pit road where those guys aren't protected by anything. You know, it's just yeah, they've got helmets on and fire suits, but really, that's it. Yeah, these cars come hurtling down. They were going, you know, 150, whatever they're coming, and they're they're obviously slowing down as they enter pit road. But they're decelerating from a from a triple digit, 
mile per hour, whatever that was. And, mm-hmm. and they're, and they're, there's because time is of the essence. They don't have, they're, they're slowing down at, as late as possible and they're swerving into their spot as late as possible. The whole thing's about time and speed. It's kind of like as an analogy for you, but like horses, race horses are groomed and bred to be as muscular and heavy up top and their legs are as small as possible for, for weight. And that's why their legs snap. They're just kind of gr- bred to the point of extinction almost. That's kind of what pit road is. They, they have chiseled this thing down to the point of if anything goes wrong, it could be really, really bad. And, and we see how much skill the drivers have simply in the fact that no one ever gets hurt, at least not often. I, I was, you know, Kurt Cavan used to write for the star for years, IndyCar guy, and he works at IndyCar now. And it's just, a, he's just the best. You know, he's just amazing. And he was telling me about pit road and how Gordon Johncock in 1982 was, was going to win the race, but needed every second. And the car in front of him on pit road was kind of cruising into the pits and Gordon Johncock had a race to win zooms by the guy at 200 miles an hour. And I saw the video and put it in my story and you can see he, he goes right by a crew member of some other team whose back is turned and is literally inches away from where Gordon Johncock is going 200 miles an hour. The confidence these drivers have and the ability they have in their driving is breathtaking. Yeah. I mean, it's just like me on 465 in my Hyundai, you know, yeah, kind of kind six of. in one, half dozen the other. You know, kind of the same thing. Have we um, talked about? Have we talked about the fact that I don't like the sound of of food being uh, eaten? I, I just and every so time stable. you take every time Sorry. you take a sip of water, and your little microphone picks Sorry. it up, <laughs> it echoes in my head, and it just, I just, it just hurts. It hurts. I did. I think it's. I, I think it's just one of those like habits. So I am aware that you don't like that, and I do try to limit it. But it's just here. Right. I'll put it on the other side of the counter, so I can't even reach it from over here. Yeah, it's all. I know uh, the hydration. Hydration is important, but for thirty <laughs> minutes, man, you got to play. Make, take one for the team. Speaking of things that annoy people, uh, <laughs> to wrap up for today, are you a pro fireworks guy or an anti fireworks? On Twitter, people were just either melting down about it or going crazy in defense of it, and. I didn't know if you're um, animals. I, I think if you have pets that are bothered by it, then it bothers you more. But, you know, even if you have young kids and you're trying to put them to bed and people are shooting off fireworks at 1130, I know it can be troublesome. I, uh, I'm i not a fireworks guy. Listen, we are we are who we were raised to be. You know, um, I realized if I had grown up in a different in a different family, shooting off fireworks and being mesmerized by the, the fire and the smoke and the pop the noise at age seven or eight or nine, I'm, I'm sure I'd be a fan of it right now. So I, I get how it is, but it's like hockey. I didn't grow up with hockey. I don't like hockey. Yeah. Um, having said that, I didn't grow up with that. And in fact, my parents were very, you know, like fireworks can hurt, hurt you. And I mean, look at Jason Pierre Paul. I mean, burned off his hand, blew up his hand doing fireworks. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it, and he's a great athlete. So, so it wasn't about, it wasn't about, um, reflexes he just got a bad one anyway i hate it i don't like fireworks i don't understand the the cachet behind it i don't here's what i don't like about it okay you know the the human we have five senses touch taste feel you know the five hearings one of them um like i can control what i see you can do something you can walk around with your fireworks you can walk around naked i don't have to look at you um you have to get close to me to touch you. I don't have to let you touch me. Um, but there's some sensations. Scent, you can hold your nose. Yeah. You can a little bit, but not some. But the, the sensation of noise, 
I've got no control over that one. And if someone, if someone chooses to dominate the noise for a square mile area by lighting off fireworks, that means it's like those, those jackasses that drive their cars and have these, and I know they're the same person, whoever has these cars with the big mo engines and they make all this noise, they're also shooting off fireworks. Um, but if, if that's what you're doing, like people don't understand or just don't care, maybe a little bit of both that when you make that noise, there might be a person or two who thinks it's cool. God help whoever they are, but there might be a person or two who think it's cool, but you're dominating the noise of a square mile. And that's not fair. Like, I, I don't mean to sound weak and say that's not fair, but it's not right. Like I've got sure. the right to hear what I want to hear. I've got the right to not hear your fireworks. And yet they want to shoot fireworks there and they haven't made quiet ones yet. And I understand that, but so I'm going off on one, but you're asking me, what do I think about fireworks? I think it's incredibly rude. I think it's incredibly cliched and it's a little bit embarrassing that people still like those things. Like at some point, grow up, grow up, dude, you're not 12 anymore. What are you shooting fireworks for? Stop it. I'm cool with it on the actual night of the 4th of July, particularly when it was a Saturday night, like it was this past year. Like people were complaining about it at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, 4th of July. And I was kind of like, look guys, not only is it actually the 4th of July, it's also 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday. So I think you're just going to have to deal with it. But yeah, in my old age, they've become more and more obnoxious. We used to get by a bunch and go up to, I had family, they're still there in Cooperstown, New York. And if you've never been there, it's the middle of freaking nowhere. I don't think people realize how like rural upstate New York is or how big upstate just New York state is in general. But my uncle had, I don't know, five acres or something like that. Um, and we used to shoot off fireworks up there. My dad's always been kind of a pyro. And one of my early firework memories was, I think I was in fifth grade and it was at the end of the night and he threw a gross of bottle rockets. So 144 into the bonfire and told me to run. Oh, and we had this bonfire and there was this, you know, high grass around and I'm running through the high grass as an 11 year old and they're <laughs> flying past me. And one of them singed off half of my eyebrows. So, um, the rest of the summer of 1993 or whatever year that was, <laughs> I was walking around with half of an eyebrow. Uh, so I wasn't a big fan of fireworks really ever since then. <laughs> can I, can I backtrack on one thing? I like what you said. I've got no problem with fireworks on the 4th of July for about a half hour. No, no problem at all. I, sure. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not anti-American. I'm not anti, I get it. But we've been hearing, I guess the reason I'm so feisty about it right now is that we've been hearing fireworks for about a month. I don't know oh, why yeah. that is, and there's all kinds of theories yeah. about what it means, and I don't know what the theories – I know what the theories are. I'm not sure what I believe, but like, I'm fireworked out. So July 4th rolls around. I'm fireworked out. I, 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 still, you got your 30 minutes, whatever, and, and we can't gather as a, as a community and stand, you know, because of the COVID. So I just want to make that clear. I don't like fireworks. I don't like them, but I get for 30 minutes – like I'll never be the guy shooting them, but for 30 minutes or so on J July 4th, have at it. I'm pro – professional fireworks so victory field or i'm on a boat and a lake is putting them on whatever like a fireworks show or a carnival or a fair i'm cool with that but you know my you know your uncle bobby in the backyard with you know 50 dollars worth of um roman candles that doesn't really do anything for me check out greg's work the newest column on ryan blaney's crew accident which we talked about scott dixon's domination and of course his take on victor oladipo shutting it down for the rest of the year. And as always, you can subscribe IndyStar.com and via the IndyStar app. Until next week, we'll see you then. Thanks so much, Greg. My friend. See you, Derek.
just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.